Scaling Up Nation, how many times have you gone in for a dip slide to finish up what you needed to do at a customer's location and the agar has fallen off of the slide? Or maybe there's premature growth and you haven't even taken the slide out of the box. I know you are as tired of this as I am, and that's where Fluid Maintenance Solutions has come in and created the perfect solution, the TTC MLAT plate count. The plate count does everything that a dip slide will without the issues that I just mentioned. These are plate count dishes and they stack beautifully. So if you have limited space in your incubator, just like we do at my company, they stack perfectly, giving you probably a times 10 real estate addition to your current incubator. In just 42 hours, you will have the results you need to complete your service report and bring your customer to the next level of your service. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash plate count. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore. I am a thankful Trace Blackmore. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Super thankful for being the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And I know that we get listened to all over the world, but I have to say my favorite holiday is American Thanksgiving. It is by far my favorite holiday because you get to eat. And eating's important to me, but I love to cook and preparing food for others that are going to come over and enjoy it. That's just one of my favorite things to do. And turkey, turkey's just amazing, and you don't eat it unless it is a holiday. I know there's different Thanksgivings all over the globe. I'm not familiar with any of those, so the only one I can speak to is the one we celebrate here in the United States. As we put some of our social media out, I'd love to hear what some of your traditions are for that. And Nation, I am definitely thankful for someone giving me advice over five years ago saying that I should do a podcast. I'm thankful for all of the people that put their time and effort into all the YouTube videos that I watched over five years ago to figure out what I needed to do to start a podcast. And I'm thankful for all of you that listen to the Scaling Up H2L podcast each and every week or every day if we are celebrating Industrial Water Week. That means so much to me. So thank you for all of that. Now, today is Friday. We always release our episodes on Friday. And I want to let you know something that I've been doing for the past few years, and it's called Giving Friday. And I learned of Giving Friday from one of my mentors, Aaron Walker of Iron Sharpens Iron. And he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but most recently in the beginning of this year, episode 248, Big A is what we call him, and Big A came on the show, and he talked about him taking some time off for himself. He took a sabbatical and he told us all about that sabbatical 
And even today, when you talk to Big A, he talks about how much clarity he received during taking time off so he could just work on himself. And he recommends that everybody do that. Now, I'm here to confess to you, I have not done that yet. It is definitely on my list to do, but I don't have the time scheduled. I promise I will do it someday, but it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow. But something I do every year, because Big A taught it to me, is giving Friday. And we always go to Waffle House on Friday after Thanksgiving, and we make sure our waiter or waitress is well compensated in their tip. That's part of the way that we give. And we also pay for the table behind us. That's bitten us in the you-know-where before. One time it was just a cup of coffee, and that was pretty cool. Another time it was uh, some people that had a secret to-go order that we did not realize what they were having. But we just have the thing that we always pay for the table behind us, and they got food for a bunch of their friends on us. Uh, We also go and do some community service on that day, and that's just a day that my family takes to reflect on all the great things that we have and what can we do to help someone else have a better day that day. So I don't know if it inspires you as much as it inspired me when I learned that Big A does that every single Friday, and he does that with his grandchildren. If it does inspire you, I promise it will make you feel better and it will make you think about all the things that you are truly fortunate for. And a lot of times we focus on the negative things. Definitely, if we're news watchers, that's all that they focus on. It's really easy to go into that downward spiral. So all day today, this Friday, we're just thinking about the positive stuff and we're trying to give something back, a small something, just to some random strangers to hopefully create a little bit of joy in other people's lives. Something that might create some joy in your lives is making sure you know some things that are coming up in the water treatment industry. So the International Water Association, the IWA, is having their biofilms conference in Thailand, and that's going to be December 6th through 8th. So to find out more about that, you can go to our webpage at scalinguph2o.com. Go over to our events section, and we've got all of that information for you. Also, speaking of the IWA, they're having their 8th International Water Association meeting taking place in South Africa, January 15th through 18th. If you want more information on that, we will have all of that on our webpage and even an easy way for you to click over and register for the conference. Before we get to our guest, and I know you're going to love this interview today, let's hear what James wants us to think about. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James, the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about the mass balance around a closed-loop system. What are all the possible ways water may enter and leave a closed-loop system? How would you know if a closed loop was losing water? Could a water meter miss small water losses? Is there more than one makeup water source? Is the recirculating pump leaking? 
Are there process leaks or even water losses due to repairs? Is water being lost through the pressure relief valve or surge tank? How much water is lost through side stream filtration or pot feeder equipment? Take this week to think about the mass balance around your closed loop system and the impacts this knowledge may have. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's thinking on water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. James, as always, we are thankful for you and all you do to help us get a little bit better each and every week by thinking on water with you. Nation, I am really excited for this interview, so here it is. My lab partners today are Bruce Ketrick Sr. and Bruce Ketrick Jr. of Guardian CSC. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, thank you, sir. So we've got two Bruces on the show, and whenever we have uh, more than one guest, it's always very exciting. So I would love to talk today to the Scaling Up Nation about your company, all things Guardian, what's happened in the past, how you guys came to work together, and then what's going on right now as you guys figure out the future. But before we do, would you all mind introducing yourselves to the Scaling Up Nation? Bruce Jr., why don't we start with you? Sure. So Bruce Jr., Bruce Ketrick Jr., president of current president of Guardian CSC. I've been in this industry now 20 years, which is uh, feels like yesterday still. And as we'll learn through this interview, I'm still just the five-year-old in my dad's mind, but past president of the AWT and uh, excited for today. Awesome. Bruce Sr. I think he's actually 10 years old, but moving on from there, Bruce Ketrick Sr., Guardian CSC. I've been in the industry 49 years. I've been with a number of companies, both tech, formulation, and sales. And I'm a past president of the AWT and uh, past rebound board winner. And I'm happy to be here. We've got three past presidents of the AWT. How about that? Well, with that, Bruce Sr., why don't we start with you? You decided that you wanted to start your own firm. Tell us a little bit about that and maybe some interesting stories along with that. Well, I'm not sure if I should expose everything that's under the skirts, but basically I was one of the youngest operations manager of a national company in Water Treat in my early 30s, and they were sold. And when they were sold, the new company thought that my services were no longer required. So I was faced with the opportunity of working for somebody or starting my own company and had a... Uh, distributor in York, Pennsylvania that wanted to start a water treatment company. So foolishly or not, we started a company with two people, no money, and one account in 1988. And since then, uh, my son has been able to get us a few more accounts, so we're doing much better. Well, let's talk about that. Bruce Jr., I know when I was growing up, I never looked at what my dad did as a real job. I'm curious, was it the same with you? Absolutely. So 88... I was 13 years old when they started the business. So we got to do a lot of work for free, which was also known as you know rent to live in the house. I learned carpentry by building out the office. I learned how to sweep floors and clean drums and do all those things at nights and weekends to help out the business. And I swore 
up and down that I would absolutely never work in this industry. It was the last thing that I was ever going to do. So by the time I was 17-ish, 18, I'd escaped the house, went to school, worked at the beaches in the summer, had really nothing to do with the business, and then took a job out of school in uh, medical sales and, and pharmaceutical sales and moved down towards New Orleans. So I had no plans to ever work in water treatment, nor uh, and I only saw water treatment as, you know, I got to clean stuff and, and, you know, move stuff and heavy stuff and pot and, you know, all those things. I did do some deliveries uh, over like Christmas breaks in colleges in college. I did some installations. We got a really big corporate account when I was in college and came back and helped the guys to do installations because, the company at that point was about six or seven people total at that at that time. And then my story is I met my wife at Jazz Fest in New Orleans. She lived in Philadelphia. And uh, I was trying to get a transfer to Wilmington to the headquarters of the pharmaceutical place. And after waiting around a year, got impatient and uh, you know had a conversation with my dad at Thanksgiving and said, he said, you know, hey, what do you, where do you see yourself five years with them? And what could you do with us for five years? And um, I said, I'll think about it. And then came home for Christmas and said, you know what? I, I think I'm going to do this. But the conversation we had was, well, first off, it was a pay cut, right? To start, I was moving into an area. We didn't have any business at all. And I said to him, I said, you know, how about two years? No harm, no foul. You know, if it if this works out great, but in the first two years, if at some point I'm just like this, this just isn't for me. Um, you know, we're okay. We can walk away, you know, I'll hug you and it'll all be okay. So that was our deal. And, um, moved out to Philadelphia was driving back to service accounts closer to the York area and learning how to do water treatment, learning and making mistakes along the way for sure. And then built, built out the rest of that business. So, um, it's been a really fun ride for sure. But that's how I got in. I did not plan on getting in. And there is a moment, I, there is a moment about six months into working uh, and I know exactly where I was driving. I, I can picture it in my mind. And I called him and I said, man, this is really easy. And he said, what do you mean this is easy? And I said, all you have to do, I was used to a cutthroat industry. So he's like, all you have to do is like tell people you're going to do something and then actually do it. And they're extremely like they have unbelievable gratitude that you you like fulfilled your commitment to them. I said, this is great. The people love me. And he's like, Yeah, it's you know, it's it's really not that hard. So obviously the technology and learning all of that is, you know, is a long road and I'm still learning a lot. We're all still learning on that part of it. But keeping up with customers and doing the right thing every day, that, that always came easy. And uh, that that part of it, I definitely got hooked on that. Well, let me ask about that two-year anniversary conversation. So after two years, you both got together. What was that conversation? Well, actually, you want the conversation before the two years, about the two years, which was we used to get together and hunt. And I used to look at him and say, if you're not in by the time I'm 57, don't bother because I've either got to give it to my kids, give it to my employees, or sell it outright. And I want a few years to get it ready. And if you're not interested, that's fine. And I came home one day after he had this conversation, by the way, with his mother, who definitely rules the roost. And she said, I have good news and great news. I said, what's the good news? She said, 
I got a plane ticket for you to fly down to Mississippi and help DJ load all of his stuff up because he's moving back. I said, oh, and the great news, he's going to work for us. I said, I like the great news, but the good news is not so interesting to me right now. She says, well, just think you can get the male bond. I said, I coached him in sports for 15 years. I, I don't need to spend two days in a truck with him. And uh, being the dominant person I am, I spent two days in a truck with him. So we got back, and my wife, his mother, in her naivete, thought, wow, he's moving into the house. He was in our house for about 24 hours. He was in Philadelphia right after that. So from my standpoint, I'm, I think he came back for an opportunity. But I really think he came back for a beautiful blonde that he's been married to for quite a few years now with three fantastic children. So I'm going to give her credit for him coming here, not me. As far as at the end of the two years was concerned, what we basically said was, if you're happy doing what you're doing, do it. If you want to move on, you do it. I know that our sales manager asked me a couple of times, when are you going to make BJ come inside? And I said, I'm not. He has to make that decision. If he decides to come inside and run the place, great. If he decides he wants to do something else, that's his choice. And it was shortly after that that he said he's, building a house in York and that kind of put the writing on the wall and went from there. Yeah. So Trace, I spent 10 years out in the field. And then uh, when my son was born, I was using my parents for help for babysitting. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, you know, I guess this is a good time. Why don't I move closer to the house? And again, most of my life decisions have been around <laughs> now my wife now my kids, but they've all been, you know, the, the business has benefited myself personally and also the business itself, I think, has benefited along the way with those decisions. But but that was the, you know, kind of the, the key factor to come back inside and start really diving into how the business runs rather than being, you know, in essence, what I was doing was just setting up whole territories, hiring a person to handle them, going to the next town, setting up a whole territory, hiring somebody to handle them, going to the next town. So the, the joke I have with our current sales manager, who's been with my dad all but two years of the business, you know, he used to run my dad's business. And then there was three other areas that, you know, grown that I know about. So our, the town I live in now, which is York, is as far west that I have ever really gone in our, in our business. Everything to the west, Scott Stewart tip handles. And uh, I joke the fact that I can drive with my eyes closed and know every road between here and the Atlantic Ocean because I handled all of that stuff myself and to go West one town to go to dinner, I have to use my GPS. So I, I know nothing about really where I sit, even the customers in our local town here that I've been now in for ten, over 10 years. Um, I still don't know all the customers, nor have I been inside all the customers. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic that we, that we have. I handle really everything outside of the periphery and just try to keep, keep growing. BJ, when you started working with the company, was it always in the back of your mind that you wanted to take over or was that something you had to decide to do? Uh, when we, obviously, there was the two-year no harm, no foul, but I think about a year in, that was, that was the goal. You know, there, was, there was a direction that I was leading myself previous to Guardian. And then once I got into Guardian, my mind is a business sales mind. His mind is a technology mind and chemistry mind. So I could see it as a business and I could see where I could be or my family, which wasn't even there at that point. My family could be in the future. And uh, it's been a good run, been a good partnership for sure. 
Bruce, you made the comment that at 57, you had to have a plan. How did you come up with that number? Well, usually when you prepare your company to do something with it, it takes three to four years. And then if you decide to do whatever you decide to do and it doesn't work out, you've lost one or two years. So I was looking at 65, back it up three years in case something failed and give me another three years to prepare it. And uh, 57 to 59 was the kind of the point where it gave me the ability to transition to something. But by the same token, even if it didn't work, I had enough time to transition in another direction. And my first priority was uh, I wanted to pass this on to family. I didn't build the company to build a company. I built the company because I needed a supply and income to support my family. And it kind of just kind of grew on itself. Uh, BJ is much better at that type of sales and planning than I am. We kind of had that conversation a few years back. Well, maybe a number of years back now. And he was a little taken back when I said it, but he is, he's much better at this. So I kind of came to that number hoping that I wouldn't be like so many people they turn 65 and say, okay, now I've got to do something with my business. Well, if it takes three or four years to do something, now they're 70. And what if nothing happens? The boat I think a lot of people are in right now is they don't know how to start that conversation. They know they need to do something. Somebody knows they need to help that somebody do something, but they don't know how to initiate that dialogue. How did you all start that conversation? I have been ruthlessly talking to him in uncomfortable ways since the day we started working together. Ruthless so is a good have, term, by the way. Yeah, ruthless <laughs> is a good term. I have very much more and continue to be risk tolerant than many people that I know, and especially than my father. I have gotten him extremely uncomfortable in many conversations but they're conversations that all need to happen. And we've always benefited from them in the end or learned something and didn't do that in the end, one or the other. But uh, we stumbled here and there, but in our, our relationship's been one where we respect each other. And, and I'm extremely, extremely lucky that, that he respects me in the way that he does. I think without that, and I see that in some of the other businesses uh, in the AWT where I know the families, the ability that, for him to put his ego aside and respect that we can be peers, even though he still can see me as a 10 year old. That I think is the, the magic that, that, that we've had together. I tend to agree with that. I mean, the hardest thing for you to do, and I think that a lot of people I didn't hear facing this is to step back because when you want a transition to occur, you have to allow someone to step in and take that role. And when it's your baby, because you started it, it's extremely difficult. And to swallow your ego at times is extremely difficult. And it, it, it's, it's something that a lot of people aren't willing to do. But if you're not going to do that, how do you allow the next generation to earn that position? How do you allow them to become the focal point? Our company meetings, BJ runs the meetings. He's in charge. I'll sit to the side or whatever. If they need me for something, that's fine. And I still do what I do. Somebody has to be the guy that runs the show. You can't have three people running the show because no one knows where to look. Uh, and, and that's the hardest part for the first generation. And for the second generation, not to have that ability or respect makes it almost impossible for them to be able to do their job. 
when you both decided that this was what you wanted to do, this was the plan for the future, did you bring somebody else in? Was a third party involved or did you guys just come up with a plan and follow the plan? So what we did was we, and I don't know that I would recommend this to everyone, but there were a lot of gonna buys, right? From the family. So when we do this, this is how I think it's going to be. And for me personally, I was kind of getting fed up with the one day conversations. So I reached out to a local, which we, we lean on them. It's the, in our area, they're called Mantech. It's a manufacturing association that uh, is funded by the state. So they have all kinds of small business trainings and everything support. And, and they said, well, we have this group and they'll come in and they can help with the conversation. So what that was, was it was someone that came in and we spent, was it two weeks, Dad? I think it was two weeks. About that, yeah. Every single day we committed, we blocked our calendars off to, from eight o'clock to one. And we spent every single day and we have a nice, beautiful building now. Our building then was much smaller and we had a little conference room. And five of us, my sister, my mom, my, my dad, and, and uh, this gentleman would, in essence, go through these intense therapy sessions where there was no hiding. So we got a lot of stuff off the table, or onto the table, I should say. We got really honest with each other. We all stayed together and hugged it out at the very end, but it was tense for a lot of those moments. And I think it's that, it's willing to walk into that pain if there's multiple people involved and actually have real conversations is the most difficult thing to do. Uh, then the way that I tell the story is we all, by the end of it, we're ready to have this guy not involved in our lives anymore. So one way that I've always learned to build a team is to have a common enemy. So we built a pretty good team and, and that came with some action items. So I then put together a whole list of things that we all agreed we, were, we wanted to get to the next step. And that was getting lawyers involved. That was getting some things set up. That was getting estate planning done properly. That was all these things. And we all got together and said, okay, if you agree that we are going to go and do these things now, then we don't have to go through this hell anymore. And everyone said, all right, get them out of here. So not saying that this is the right process for everyone, but there needs to be a tipping point, I think, where a real serious conversations happen, not the ancillary, you know, over the top generalities of, yeah, one day this is going to happen. And when you have this, this will happen. Well, that's great. But how does that work? So someone needs to bring everyone to the table to, to actually have real conversation. That can be a, a trusted lawyer. That could be a, a trusted business partner. That could be a neighbor friend that you, you know, you trust that knows what they're doing, but somebody has to help get past that first step. And and I guess the biggest part would be for me was the the line in the sand that just said, we're gonna do this. And that, that's where we ended up. Sometimes when you're successful, you forget about your frailties, but they didn't. It was how how can I put it, humbling in many ways. Uh, it was humbling for all four of us actually. But if you don't get down to the the baseline, you can't build it up again. And then we had a plan. And with the plan, we went to lawyers, we set up trusts, we set up transfers, we set up all the things that, you know, I sit here now and I hear about all these retirement speeches that you want to go find out how to properly retire. And all they say is the same thing we've already done. So we were very fortunate in that, that 
we had an individual who was willing to become a common enemy. So by the end of the day, we all wanted to kill him, but also realized he was telling us the truth. And you got to start with the truth. When you both came up with a plan for the transition, was it the right plan? Was it a plan that needed to have adjustments along the way? How did you execute the plan? Oh, it definitely was not the right plan. It wasn't, we didn't know what we knew. We knew what we wanted to get to. So we wanted to get to a way to transition ownership. My piece of the puzzle was I'm tired of building something so big that I can't afford it. This isn't making any sense to me. Why am I doing this? I'm going to, I can go start somewhere else. Like I'm, it's, it's getting too big. And if I do these next two deals that I had set up, then it's too big and I can't afford it. So why, why would I do these things to make, to hurt myself in the essence of keep pumping the valuation of the company up and then it'd be difficult to transition. So it was the sooner, the better for me. We had, when I say we had bulleted outline, we had four or five bulleted outlines of things that were going to happen and they were very high level. The next step was really calling a lawyer and saying, hey, this is what we want to do. Who do we need to talk with? What people do you have? Who do you recommend? And then from there, we just started down a path that took about another year and a half of designing paperwork. We are really great water treaters. We are not estate planners. So, you know, same thing we tell our customers, you know, you don't need to worry about this. I'll tell you what you need to know. And uh, you don't need to be an expert in my field. And I certainly don't plan to be an expert in theirs. So it's just, it's just reaching out and a lawyer, a lawyer group, you know, that we have, we have used over, over the years for many things. But if you can trust in one of those people just to sit down, they can at least still steer you on the path and give you all the options. It has been adjusted many times along the way because life changes, business change. You've seen the environment in business the last two years have changed dramatically and you have to adjust for that. Uh, and we have, and fortunately the base plan has stayed the same. The transition stayed the same, but we've had to adjust all around the periphery because life happens. And again, fortunately we're able to do that with as little pain and as little bleeding as possible, but you know, nothing happens without some disagreement. We agree on a number of things. We disagree on a number of things. As BJ said before, my level of risk take versus his is much different. I respect his, and I think he's made the right decision every time. It's not necessarily the one I would make. A little more cautious. So, yes, he has me on the edge of my seat many times, but to date, I have to give him credit that he's been right every time. And there were certain decisions we had to make because we were looking at expanding the business. If we're transitioning and expanding, why should we wait after the expansion for the transition? It just costs my kids more pain. So we decided to do that early on so that they had a, a major portion of what the next step of growth was. And that also gives them ownership and it also gives them the reason to get involved in it. So sometimes you've got to stop looking at what can I get out of the whole pie and realize the reason you have the pie is to share it with your family. So how can I share the pie and still be comfortable? And I don't need the whole pie. I'm never going to use it anyway. So uh, it has changed along the way, but the base plan is pretty much stuck the same. It sounds like when you all disagree, you both disagree agreeably. How did you come to that? Over all the years, 
BJ was a captain of every team. He's a very strong-willed individual. I had the privilege of coaching him and trying to have discussions with him about what I thought he should do, even when he disagreed with me. So we had many years of being able to develop the relationship where he could stand there in front of me and go, nope, not going to do it. And me not go crazy and realize, all right, let's see if we can work this out. So uh, it's fortunate that we had a long history from the time he was like 10 years old to be able to kind of develop that. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's not always pleasant, but it is, it's real life. You have to give and take and you have to respect the other person that they have the right to their opinion. So my answer is I just do whatever the hell I want. And then I tell him just as much as he needs to know. (laughs) (laughs) You would have a heart attack on most of what's going to (laughs) happen. This is why I love respect. How would you describe each of your roles as we speak today? Uh, BJ's running the place, and and I'm a ghost. Yeah, I'm I'm historian. I'm basically here because I know the history, I know the products, I know the formulation. That the young guys we have are very talented, but they have no history. So when they hit a wall, I'm here to say, let me explain where that brick really goes, and uh, to help with the transition. I get involved with sales when they ask me, but basically, I'm a historian. Little tech support, I like to say, but really a historian. Yep, absolutely. He's the guy that we lean on when we all go, What the heck is that? You know, which happens every, you know, one time a year, everybody gets in a situation and you go, Wow, we haven't seen that one yet. And then uh, we'll, we get them back involved. But we got some really great systems set up here. We've got transition to knowledge, a lot more automation. It's not all living inside of his head, but there still comes up those things like, Why do we do it like that? Or, where do we get that one thing from we haven't used in five years? And he's definitely there to help us when we need him. BJ, you touched on something that I think is the biggest issue during this whole process, which is things are locked up inside somebody's head. What's some advice to start getting those things out? So I had a business mantra that started more than 10 years ago. And that business mantra, because you've got to remember, as a small business, we came in, we were eight people. Now we're almost we're 70 people, right? So when I started with them, it was we were eight. So my mom was in the business also. So both of them had knowledge of, you know, she ran the office. I had a mantra that said, any business critical function could not be done by a Ketrick. And I had set up a, probably at that point, it was about a five to seven year strategy of how we were going to grow and where we were going to put some resources that weren't just sell the hell out of everything. You guys figure out how to keep up with me, right? That's how the business was run before. But I had a little more respect for what was going on internally. And the fact that I didn't need, my mom didn't need to be doing all of the things she was doing, you know, wearing a hundred different hats and being, you know, pretty good at all of them, but not an expert in any. And then, you know, the same with myself, the same with my sister, the same with my dad. So that required us having a real technical director that required us having HR that required us to have a controller that required us to have a lot of people that we didn't have at the time. So the technical director was really the one that would take what my dad does off his plate. So in the interview process, even I use the analogy to them that their entire job, their only job was to take everything in his head and put it systematically somewhere that we could use it and make and automate it. So uh, God bless 
the people that have worked with him over the years, because I've heard many of these stories multiple times. And a simple answer, as you know, is not a simple answer in that office. You're going from, you know, you get the whole story. He's the hey, 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 a little respect here, a little respect. He's the historian. So they're, uh, they're you know, you're going to get the full picture. So some the person that actually has been working out has a lot of patience and is really good at then taking that information and, and putting it in a place and in a, in a way that we all can, can use it. And it's not just locked up in his brain. When I say that, we have what we need functionally to run a business, which is probably 20% of what's stuck in that thing. So we're still picking at it, but uh, it's a grind. You've got to set up a, a plan and then you've got to have somebody that's going to interface with whoever that one that one person is you're trying to take those, those job tasks off of. And hopefully either they have the experience, they can take it quickly, or in his case, when it's you know, the technology and the history, it's a coffee clutch. A lot of times you gotta, you gotta, you know, hang out for an hour and, and get your answer and then go back and figure out what you're going to do and where you're going to put that. So we can use it in the future. Bruce, anything you want to add to that? Well, that is a problem, unfortunately, but one of the things that uh, I looked at just the other day is our different tech files, which are all mumbled and jumbled and everything else. And how do, how do I transfer that so that it's usable for people in the field of the, and the people you have here, and it's a kind of monumental task, not just what's in my head, but what I have is information. And, and that's one of the things we're trying to do. And the other thing I started doing is I call them tech tips. And what I do is I take a subject, glycol, molybdate, PBTC, and write a tech tip about it, what it is, good, bad, how to use it, where to put it. And then I send it out to the sales force. Uh, right now, I've sent out 25, and I have 40 of them written. And there's probably going to be over 100 when I'm done. But at least that's a library they'll have. And I probably will never dump everything inside of my brain because I don't even know what they need half the time. If you both could go back to when you first started planning with all the knowledge that you've gained over the past years, what advice would you give yourselves? I honestly wouldn't change a thing. I agree with PJ. I don't know if I could change a thing because what... I did over those years is what made me who I am. And if I did something different, I don't know if I'd be who I am. So I, I just, I'd probably just give him a big hug and say, it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he does a lot, by the way, which is his way of not explaining to me the details. He just goes, don't worry about it, dad. It's going to work. Then I go home and I tell Pat, well, BJ said it's going to work. And she says, how? And I go, I don't know. And she goes, you men are like that. Women would know how. I said, no, he's not going to tell me anyway. For those listening today that know they need to start these conversations, what advice would you have for them? Be honest. Yeah. So the advice I would have, because there is a, you know, what I see in our industry is the 70s were an early 80s were an amazing time for training and knowledge transfer and really was the, the prime of the beginning of this industry. And then a lot of those gentlemen and ladies moved out of those big corporations that had really great training programs and are really smart people and started their own businesses. And they're all in the category of my dad are not older, right? So they're in, a, they're in the moment. There's a lot of people still around that are in the moment and haven't decided what they're going to do. 
I would say find someone that's already made a transition that you knew through other pieces of business and take them to dinner. I would say don't be afraid to take the phone call from someone that you may not trust today or ever in the future that says, hey, I'm interested in buying your business. And you say, well, I would never sell to that guy. You know, my dad, you know, that's gotten him uncomfortable over the years. I, I take every meeting. I want to learn. How do I know? How, how will I learn how to do this if I don't at least listen to strategies other people have had? And then steal as much of that stuff and use it for myself, right? So don't be afraid to take those meetings or make those meetings. It's just a dinner and you're going to learn, you know, something along the way. But that would be my advice is, is don't be afraid to be a little bit open and uh, to just start asking questions and take take the time, I guess is a better way to put it. Take the time to actually focus on that rather than if the account down the road is going to get service today. We've gotten to a point in our business that we're, you know, like I said, we've had some great growth. So we've gone from eight people to 70 people and, you know, we're a much bigger, bigger machine for sure. And one of the reasons we've done that is because I noticed very early on that I wanted the same lifestyle my parents had worked themselves to. And I knew that, that was going to take work to get myself there. But I also knew that I had three families to feed. So we needed to grow the business big enough. I needed to you know, be part of like the, the strategy of growing it big enough that we all could benefit from that. And I do see in the AWT world where there are uh, individuals that have businesses that are, you know, very successful and are, you know, them and two other people, them and four other people. And uh, the return on that investment to themselves is, you know, in some parts better than what we can do at this very large state with a lot more problems. So bigger isn't always better. Bigger is what it is. Once you get to the size that we're at now, everything is exponential. So it used to be, you know, it was a whole family conversation to hire one person. Now I hire three people a month and sometimes they don't even know who they are. Right. And it's just part of that exponential growth. So those are the kind of things that come along with that. You know, if you can run a very successful business and keep it to, you know, you and your, you know, your spouse or your partner and, you know, one or two people and, and be happy doing that. That's a great lifestyle business. That's a great lifestyle business. So there's benefits in both for sure. Well, Bruce Ketrick Sr., Bruce Ketrick Jr., I want to thank you both for coming on Scaling Up H2O, for sharing so much with the Scaling Up Nation. I know we helped a lot of people today, and thank you for that. Thank you, Trace. Thanks, Trace. How about that nation? Two Bruces, Bruce Ketrick Jr., Bruce Ketrick Sr. They are both incredible people. I will tell you that I am better having known them both. And their family has been so incredibly generous to me. Bruce Sr., of course, answering so many of my questions and really being a mentor of mine as I've grown up in the water treatment industry. And then BJ Bruce Jr., just such a great friend. We are exactly the same age, 
And he is a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind. He's just a great guy, and we share so much together. So fortunate to call both of them friends. So thank you again for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast and sharing so much about what you all did so successfully. I have no doubt that there are people listening today that they are going to take action based on your words today. And Nation, if that is you, make a commitment that you're going to take the next step. And a lot of times we don't take that next step because that is such a giant hard step for us to take. The first step is always the hardest, and it's also the first domino that if we push over, it'll start a chain reaction so we can get to the end that we all have in mind. It sounded like after they had their conversations, they talked to a legal party and that got them started. So maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe the next step is having the conversation with the person you need to have the conversation with. Maybe it's just setting a lunch date. What is the next step that you need to do? And if it's too big, what is a piece of that next step that you can easily push over that you can get into a chain of effects so you can get done what you want to get done? It all starts with that first step, but you got to have that first step first, even though it's hard. Nation, I'm always looking for things to talk about on this podcast. Today's not going to be any different. I am looking for your ideas, your topics, your guests. What do you want to hear on the Scaling Up H2O podcast? Go to scalinguph2o.com, go over to our show ideas page, and let us know exactly what that is. And Nation, if you do not mind a big favor that you can do for all of us here at the Scaling Up H2O staff is to leave a review on your favorite podcast player. That dramatically helps our ratings. And we are always looking for the next member of the Scaling Up Nation. And the only way we do that is for people to find us or for you to tell people that there is a water treatment podcast. Most people had no idea that there was an industrial water treatment podcast until somebody like you told them so I guess that's two things I'm asking for. After you write your review, if you can also continue your conversations with your fellow water treaters, letting them know that we do have a podcast just for us, that helps us reach a larger audience. That larger audience allows us to make sure that we're talking about the right things. And the right thing for this podcast is to create a movement that makes the industrial water treatment industry better. One podcast at a time, one water treater at a time. So together, we can definitely make sure that we are on that road. Nation, I will have a brand new episode for you next Friday. In the meantime, have a great week, folks. Nation, the mastermind is wildly successful, and the only thing missing is you. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the group that you have been waiting for and the group that can push you to your next level of success.